Ants are the only creatures on earth, other than man, who make war. They campaign. They are chronic aggressors. And they make slave laborers of the captives they don't kill. None of the ants previously seen by man were more than an inch in length, most considerably under that size. But even the most minute of them have an instinct and talent for industry, social organization, and savagery that makes man look feeble by comparison. Uh, how large were the ants you found? Oh, the smallest measured nine feet in body length. That, gentlemen, is why you are here, to consider this problem. And I hope solve it, because unless you solve it, unless these queens are located and destroyed before they've established thriving colonies and can produce, heaven alone knows how many more queen ants, man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, will probably be extinct within a year, Doctor. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We want a man in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the Futus of War. Resistance is futile. Yes, a Jedi's trick flows from the Force. But beware of the dark side. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. It's a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is uh, Reed's Cold, and you're listening to Trex and Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Trex in Sci-Fi. This is episode 778. For Sunday, June 28th, 2020. I'm back this week with my top 10 favorite 1950s science fiction movies. Before I get into today's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you my top 10 favorite 1950s science fiction movies. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. With that said, we're going to get into the countdown of my favorite 1950s science fiction movies. So, starting with number 10, it came from outer space. Directed by Jack Arnold, produced by William Allard, the story was by Ray Bradbury. It starred Richard Carlson and Barbara Rush. And here's a little synopsis. While looking through his telescope one night, Jack Putnam, played by Richard Carlson, sees what at first appears to be a meteor shower, but it is actually a crash-landing alien spaceship. After investigating the crater for the impact, 
John informs the town sheriff, played by Charles Drake, and receives nothing but ridicule. Even his fiancée, Ellen, played by uh, Barbara Wright, is skeptical. All that changes when the town folk start disappearing and are replaced with eerie alien duplicates. Yes, it came from outer space to fill the world with terror, to bring you unforgettable suspense. What was it? Where did it come from? Who were the all-powerful creatures it brought from outer space? And what did they want on Earth? You can learn the amazing answer only when you see the most thrilling picture in years. It came from outer space. In the astonishing realism of three dimension, with objects coming right out of the screen, so real they almost touch you. Next up is number nine, When Worlds Collide. Directed by Rudolf Mattei, produced by George Powell. It was based on the novel of the same name by When Worlds Collide by Edwin Balmer and Philip Wiley. It starred Richard Deere, Barbara Rush, Peter Hansen, and John Hoyt. Here's a synopsis. After Bronson, played by Hayden Rourke, who folks my age will know, he was Dr. Bellows on I Dream of Genie, discovers Zyra, a new planet. Fellow astronomer Dr. Henrid, played by Larry Keaton, checks Bronson's data and reaches the horrifying conclusion that Bellis, a star in Zyra's orbit, is doomed to crash into the Earth within a matter of months. Meanwhile, Hendren's daughter, Joyce, played by Barbara Rush again, has grown fond of pilot Dave Randall, played by Richard Deere, and pleads to have him brought along as a small group is relocated to Zyra, to avoid the impending mass destruction. When worlds collide. Written in the stars is a message of doom for this, our world. And now in the most shattering experience the screen has ever given you, Paramount tells what could happen within your lifetime when worlds collide. An astronomer checks and double-checks his horrifying discovery. A distant star racing through space toward an inevitable collision with this planet. The United Nations meet in emergency session. All conflicts pale before this threat from another world. If you wait until the danger is visible to the naked eye, it will be too late to escape. High on a mountaintop, an army of scientists work desperately to build this giant rocket. This modern Noah's Ark to carry a few picked survivors of our doomed civilization to a new life on another world, reaching the heights of self-sacrifice, the depths of the animal lust for survival as they fight to be among the few who can be saved. Let's take the ship away from them! Come on! Fighting among themselves, fighting against time, as doomsday is upon them. I think all you scientists are crackpots. Nothing is going to happen. 
When worlds collide, you'll see the most amazing, awe-inspiring scenes ever put on film. The forces of nature unleashed in all their terrifying force. Tremendous tidal waves smashing New York City. The molten fires from the bowels of the earth gushing out to consume our world. Number eight on the list is War of the Worlds, directed by Byron Haskin, produced by George Powell, based on the 1898 novel by H.G. Wells of the same name. It stars Gene Barry and Anne Robinson. And here's the synopsis. Scientist Clayton Forrester, played by Gene Barry, and Sylvia Van Buren, played by Anne Robinson, are the first to arrive at the site of a meteorite crash. Soon after, an alien war machine emerges and begins killing at random. The army is called in, but they're no match for the alien's force field. Forrester and Van Buren, however, are able to wound one of the creatures and procure a sample of its blood. They take it to Los Angeles, where they hope, through testing, to be able to discover the alien's weakness. be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. Looks like they're going to come out of that gully pretty soon. We'll have to rush our defenses to be ready when they do. Guys need plenty of reinforcements. We'll get them. Lieutenant, look! They slash across country like scythes. Wiping out everything that's trying to get away from them. That explains why communication is cut the moment their machines begin moving. Montreal's blacked out. Nothing more has come through. Same thing that happened on the Pacific Coast. Anything from them yet? No, Mr. Secretary. We've had nothing from San Francisco for over five hours. The nations of the world mobilize their armed might, rushing to defend the Earth against the unknown weapons of the super race from the Red Planet. Is there nothing that can stop the Martian death machines? Guns, tanks, bombs, they're like toys against them. We know now that we can't beat their machines. We've got to beat them. All over the world, human beings cower before the onslaught of these unearthly enemies whom no one has ever seen. Panic that sweeps around the globe as the great masses of mankind flee blindly in a headlong stampede of hysteria. Number seven on my list is Invaders from Mars. It's directed by William Cameron Menzi, produced by Edward L. Alperson. The story was by John Tucker Battle. 
It starred Jimmy Hunt, Helena Carter, Arthur Franz, my personal favorite, Morris Ankrum, Leif Erikson, and Hilary Brooke. And here's the synopsis. Curious adolescent boy, David McLean, played by Jimmy Hunt, confronts aliens who've set up a base in his backyard. The extraterrestrials intend to use mind control on the local townsfolk. Determined to stop the invaders, who have already co-opted his father, played by Leif Erikson, he attempts to warn others. But when the local law officers also succumb, David teams up with an astronomer, Stuart Kelston, played by Arthur Franz, and Dr. Pat Blake, played by Helena Carter. And the trio must fight together to repel this insidious intruders. from Mars. He saw them land from outer space. He saw them capture innocent people only to destroy. <laughs> Father turned against son. People changed into strange, weird animals. A general of the army becomes a saboteur. Trusted police turned into arsonists. The boy's parents changed into killers. But nobody's getting anywhere out there. Nobody can locate anything. Anybody. The Martians. We've got to stop the... Invaders from Mars. Capturing humans at will for their own sinister purposes. Turning them into diabolical instruments of destruction. <laughs> Invaders from Mars. Weird, fantastic beings of a superintelligence. Ruling a race of synthetic humans and pitting them against mankind's dream to conquer the universe. Come on, step on it. Search every tunnel. we got to find Ronaldo and the kid. When the colonel gives a signal, get back here on the double! Number six on my list is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, directed by Don Siegel, produced by Walter Wanger. It was based on the novel The Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. It starred Kevin McCarthy, Dana Winter, Carolyn Jones, and King Donovan. And here's the synopsis. In Santa Mira, California, Dr. Miles Bennell, played by Kevin McCarthy, is baffled when all his patients come to him with the same complaint. Their loved ones seem to have been replaced by emotionless imposters. Despite others' dismissive denials, Dr. Bennell and his former girlfriend, Becky, played by Dana Winter, and his friend Jack, played by King Donovan, soon discover that the patient's suspicions are true. An alien species of human duplicates grown from plant-like pots is taking over the small town. 
Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Make them listen to me before it's too late! Listen to me. Please, listen. If you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet, bringing a new dimension in terror to the giant super scope screen. Whatever intelligence or instinct it is that can govern the forming of human flesh and blood out of thin air is fantastically powerful, beyond any comprehension. A cursed, dreadful, malevolent thing was happening to those he loved. It isn't just an ordinary body, is it? I never saw one like it. It looks... unused. The sensational star discovery of the view from Poppy's head. And now an undreamed of horror makes her life and love a vortex of fear. Jack! Miles, where did they come from? I don't know. Suddenly, while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories. I don't want any part of it. You're forgetting something, Miles. What's that? You have no choice. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spreads. As the unimaginable becomes real, the impossible becomes true. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! Before we get into my top five movies, I want to mention some movies that didn't make it on my top 10 list. Uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Love that movie, especially Kirk Douglas singing. You don't see that very often. Uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucer. Who doesn't like Ray Harryhausen movies? Uh, it the Terror from Beyond Space. Ridley Scott says he's never seen this movie, but if you watch this movie, you know he watched it when he made Alien. Uh, Devil Girl from Mars. It's kind of a cult classic, but man, this lady works this cape, this Martian lady. Uh, Godzilla, the original one, Gajira. Uh, Destination Moon, excellent movie. Uh, the Blob, The Fly, Flight to Mars. There's so many movies, I can't list them all, so I just chose the ones that I, I, I watch at least once a year. They're all great movies, and they're all fun to watch. So I just wanted to add that bit in there. So let's get back to the countdown. Number five is Them, directed by Gordon Douglas, produced by David, let's see, Weistbert. Uh, the story was by George Worthington Yates. It starred James Whitmore, Edmund Gwynn, Joan Weldon, and James Arnaz. And here's the synopsis. While investigating a series of mysterious deaths, Sergeant Ben Peterson, played by James Whitmore, finds a young girl, played by Sandy Drescher, who is unable to speak. As Peterson joins forces with FBI agent Robert Graham, played by James Arness, and scientist Dr. Harold Medford, played by Edmund Gwynn, 
he discovers that all the incidents are due to giant ants that have mutated by atomic radiation. Peterson and Graham, with the aid of the military, attempt to find the queen ants and destroy the nests before the danger spreads. I tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly, man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, will be extinct within a year. of the President of the United States. Stay in your homes, I repeat. Stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. But born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. We may be witnesses to a biblical prophecy come true, and thus will be destruction and darkness come up in creation, and the beast shall reign over the earth. Yes, the earth, the skies above and the seas below, infested by swarms of nightmare creatures, crueler, deadlier than the armored giants of prehistoric eras. Here is a wild, headlong flight into terror as the desert erupts with the grim battle for survival. Here is a fear-frenzied moment of suspense as mankind totters before a thing that multiplies faster than it can be killed. Here is a desperate plunge into the black depths of the earth where human courage challenges the brute force, the slashing jaws, the poison fangs that guard the subterranean nest where the beast spawns its terrible progeny. To all units, to all units, condition red, grain 267 is the target area. Repeat, condition red, grain 267 is the target area. We can't take a chance. It might poison the whole city. Number four on my list is The Thing from Another World. It was directed by Christian Naby, who some say it was Howard Hawk who really directed the movie, but that's another story. It was produced by Edward Lasker and Howard Hawks. It was based on a 1938 novella, Who Goes There, by John W. Campbell Jr. It stars Marguerite Sheridan, another one of my personal favorites, Kenneth Tobey, Douglas Spencer, 
Robert Cornwaith, and James Arnaz. And here's the synopsis. When scientist Dr. Carrington, played by Robert Cornthwaite, reports a UFO near his North Pole research base, the Air Force sends a team under Captain Patrick Hendry, played by my favorite, Kenneth Toby, to investigate. What they find is a wrecked spaceship and a humanoid creature, played by James Arnaz, frozen in the ice. They bring their discovery back to their base, but Carrington and Hendry disagree over what to do with it. Meanwhile, the creature is accidentally thawed and begins wreaking havoc. That thing's alive, sir. I saw it. I shot at it. I hit it. I know it. Nothing happened. It just kept coming at me, making a noise like a cat mewing. Captain, it was awful. You could have seen those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions. Astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us as one pole from the other. If we can only communicate with it. See? What happened, Doctor? In the greenhouse I was working, I couldn't see. Yeah. Then, then a blast of cold air and I heard Olsen scream. Come here. Get in the corner. Now hold this in front of you. Stay by the light switch. 1.9. Needles hit the top. Number three is The Day the Earth Stood Still, directed by Robert Weiss, who would also go on to direct The Sound of Music and Star Trek The Motion Picture. It was produced by Julian Blaustein. It was based on the novel Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates. It stars Michael Rennie, Patricia O'Neill, Patricia Neal, excuse me, not Patricia O'Neill, Hugh Marlowe, Sam Jaffe, Billy Gray, Francis Bouvier, and Locke Martin. And here's the synopsis. When a UFO lands in Washington, D.C., bearing a message for Earth's leaders, all humanity stands still. Klaatu, played by Michael Rennie, has come on the behalf of alien life who have been watching Cold War-era nuclear proliferation on Earth. But it is Klaatu's soft-spoken robot, Court, that presents more of an immediate threat to onglowers. A single mother played by Patricia Neal and her son teach the world about peace and tolerance in this moral fable, ousting, ousting the tanks and soldiers that greet the alien's arrival. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon, the arrival of a space ship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. 
just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. to give you these facts. But if you threaten to extend your violence, this earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. He's a robot. Without you, what could he do? There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the earth. All vehicles, close in. Let's go. My number two movie and my number one movie change places, depending on how I feel. I watch them probably three or four times a year anyway. So my current number two is This Island Earth. It's directed by Joseph M. Newman and Jack Arnold. It was produced by William Allen. It was based on a 1952 novel of the same name by Raymond F. Jones. It stars Jeff Morrow, Faith Demurg, and Rex Reason. And here's the synopsis. Scientist Cal Meacham, played by Rex Reason, solves a mysterious puzzle that allows him access to a highly secretive program led by the mysterious Exeter, played by Jeff Morrow, that has assembled the world's greatest scientific minds in an attempt to quickly learn how to generate and store nuclear power. But with the help of fellow scientist Ruth Adams, played by Faith Demurg, and Steve Carlson, played by Russell Johnson, who I know as the professor from Gilligan's Island, Meacham soon discovers that his host is not who he claims to be. two of you are beginning a strange journey, a journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. Universal International presents the most startling, the most imaginative and suspenseful science fiction drama ever brought to the screen. You'll marvel at the superior intelligence that unleashes its deadly ray. Or can kidnap an airplane in flight. Prisoners hurtling through endless space, speeding toward the unearthly furies of a planet gone mad. 
see sights never before dreamed by man. The battle between guided meteors and deadly rays. They're going to hit us. They're going to hit us. A planet doomed to destruction. While captive Earth people fight for their lives. It is indeed typical that you Earth people refuse to believe in the superiority of any world but your own. Run, Ruth, run! the top number one is forbidden planet directed by fred m wilcox produced by nicholas nafak the story was by irving block and alan alder and here's the synopsis in this sci-fi classic a spaceship travels to a distant planet altair 4 to discover the fate of a group of scientists sent there two decades earlier when Commander J.J. Adams, played by Leslie Nielsen, and his crew arrive, they discover only two people. Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pidgeon, and his daughter, Altera, played by Anne Francis, who was born on the remote planet. Soon, Adams begins to uncover the mystery of what happened on Altair 4 and why Morbius and Altera are the sole survivors. yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Oh, Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair Four. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pidgeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Not in. Didn't bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in the robot, able to produce on order 10 tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. It must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me. And fit in all the right places, with lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamond or emeralds do? You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. You travel deep down into the heart of the forbidden planet 
to discover the incredible marvels of this lost genius race. These magnificent scenes in striking Eastman color stagger the imagination. 20 miles. Look down, gentlemen, are you afraid? 7,800 levels. Yet the wonders of the planet Altair IV conceal a strange and evil force, unknown, irresistible. Those are my top 10 favorite 1950s science fiction movies. Before I wrap up this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico again for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you my top 10 favorite 1950s science fiction movies. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back next week on the podcast. I'll end today's podcast with one of my favorite scenes from the movie, The Thing from Another World. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care. This is M5, signing off. Anchorage from Polar Expedition 6. Anchorage from Polar Expedition 6. Can you hear me? Over. Anchorage, reception clear. Press the button to speak, Henry. Over. Tell General Fogarty we've sent for Captain Hendry. He'll be here in a few minutes. Over. Roger. Over. Are there any newsmen there who can hear me? Over. Places pull up. Over. All right, fellas, here's your story. North Pole, November 3rd. Ned Scott reporting. One of the world's greatest battles was fought and won today by the human race. Here at the top of the world, a handful of American soldiers and civilians met the first invasion from another planet. A man by the name of Noah once saved our world with an arc of wood. Here at the North Pole, a few men performed a similar service with an arc of electricity. The flying saucer which landed here and its pilot have been destroyed, but not without casualties among our own meager forces. I would like to bring to the microphone some of the men responsible for our success. But as senior Air Force officer, Captain Hendry is attending to demands over and above the call of duty. Dr. Carrington, the leader of the scientific expedition, is recovering from wounds received in the battle. Good for you, Scotty. And now, before giving you the details of the battle, I bring you a warning. Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world, tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the skies.
been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. Join the forum at treksinsci-fi.com forward slash forum or write to Rico today. TrekSF at gmail.com Until next time, live long and prosper. Treks in Sci-Fi. Transmission.